Welcome to the Drop the Mic podcast number 24. Wow, it's been 24. We oh, it's it's crazy. We're we're coming in hot and heavy every day now. So many uh good podcasts coming up uh in the next couple weeks. So um definitely stay tuned. This podcast is brought to you um by New York Film Loft. So you're a filmmaker or a writer, maybe you're an actor, or maybe you are you, the, the virtual reality bug is bitten you and you've jumped into that realm, but you don't know where to go to find different resources, you don't like working by yourself, you want to put together like a small team, maybe the help with your film or maybe create a writer's group or maybe team up on a film project or so what do you find all those guys i don't even know i don't know oh wait a minute new york film loft that's right new york film loft is a community built just for you helping empower film television and vr 360 entrepreneurs and creatives. That means that whether you're behind the camera, in front of the camera, or not even around the camera, we we can help you connect to all these really cool people in all these awesome services, post-production, distribution, marketing, legal, all the things that you need to get your startup running, to get your film going, to get your theater project going, to write, to, oh, I mean, so many different things. And more importantly, they're all cool people. There's about 450 and growing every day um, people in the community currently, and they're all cool they're all super nice. We they meet once a month at a really fun uh, industry networking event. Actually, the next one is to, is Wednesday, uh, March twenty first in Manhattan or at Dewey's Pub. You can actually attend if you want to go check it out. Maybe meet some people and you know, but. I really think you should, if you're, if you are trying to create, then you owe it to yourself to create yourself, create in the best environment possible. So go up to nyfilmloft.com, sign up for the community. You get 24 act, seven, 24 seven access to the community. You get discounts and on goods and services for just what you need. You get access to one-of-a-kind advisement and mentorship like expert film directors, expert screenwriters, expert literary agents, expert production artists, expert uh, showrunners. You get all of this for only $4.16 a month. I mean, come on, that's crazy. So check out New York Film Loft, nyfilmloft.com, and we'll see you at the next event. I'm not going to talk much more about 
anything else except for the fact that we have a really awesome uh, guy coming up next, Chris Wells. I had a ball talking to him. He's super fun, super awesome, really knowledgeable, very talented. You're going to enjoy this podcast a great deal. And also, before um, we go and get into the podcast, make sure if you're doing anything, whether it's film-related or not, you know, we, we actually love promoting other things that people are doing outside of their film world. Like, um, if you like music, come out to um, Connolly's this weekend coming up and... Um, one of our members, Chris Saunders, is actually performing. It's going to be really cool. If you've never seen him perform, it's really a great show. The event will be at Connolly's um, on Saturday, um, March 24th at 8.45 p.m. And Connolly's is really easy to get to. Like, it's dead center of everything. It's few blocks from Radio City Music Hall, it's like a few blocks from Times Square, you can get the F, you can get the R, you can get all these different um, modes of transportation there, it's really easy, it's a great venue for music, um, and Chris is in the middle of an amazing, um, he just released his new album, um, Liquid Therapy, which is available on iTunes and Spotify and a few other spots. And um, you can come out and watch um, him perform on the second leg of the Liquid Therapy tour. So, um, and this is what we do. This is what we do. We help promote whatever it is you're doing even if it has nothing to do with film or television or stuff. So if you got something that you want people to know about, if you're writing a new book and it's coming out, if you're going to be in a new play, if you're writing a sketch group, if your dog is competing in a dog run, well, let us know. You can write to us on community at nyfilmloft.com. Send us... And who knows, we'll announce it here on our uh, community board on the upcoming um, podcast. Okay? Um, so, I'm not going to talk anymore. I think I've talked enough. You're going to love this new this podcast. Um, Chris Wells is going to be coming up next. Awesome. Let's roll, baby. Roll. I can't believe you two took that raving lunatic seriously. What do you think this is? How you doing? Pretty good. How's things going? Pretty good. I had my um, speaker in the bathroom somehow hooked up to my my computer, so when I called you, all of a sudden that was going off. That's a lot of breath. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. It's Bluetooth. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's, it kind of scares me sometimes because sometimes I forget to turn it off. And then, you know, I'll be on my phone and all of a sudden, like, my conversation's in the bathroom. <laughs> 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 kind of freaky. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that's technology for you, right? I know. I know. It's uh, the best story is my dad used to have um, for his uh, car, he had automatics, uh, an automatic start. Mm -hmm. There's a Mont. And uh, he uh, all of a sudden he wakes up in the middle of the night and the car's running. 
And what? apparently, like, yeah, because I guess he sat, he fell asleep on the couch, and he, and he, and I guess like he sat on his keychain and it turned his car uh... on. But he had no idea that he had this feature. So for like a month, he got scared because he kept. It, it, it happened like two times or three times during that month. Wow. <laughs> and so finally he got he got so scared. He went to the dealership. They said, no, it's an automatic start. But he, he was so freaked out. He goes, just get rid of it. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Dad, why would you get rid of that? Like you need that in Vermont. Like you, you have to let your car warm up in yeah. the winter. Yeah. He just – it just freaked him out. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I know, computer – I was funny. I was just – so I, I've been – I've had a couple of other podcasts I did today, and uh, one of the other podcasts we were we were talking about technology and man's uh, fear of that it's going to take over the world should yep. um, you know AI become so prevalent and uh, you know right you know it, it's it can be a little creepy. <laughs> it can be. I mean, you know, I I've uh, heard some theories that the next. How, you know, how we've evolved, you know, man has evolved from apes, but what is going to evolve from humans is computers. Mm. And that's the next sort of, like, we think it's going to be like another creature. Like, you know, right. like one day we're going to see like a, a, a man with like a huge head walking around, like, oh my God, he's the next, you know, evolution person, you know, but, right. but, but I'm hearing that it's, it's, I mean, this is obviously all a theory, but I'm, I'm hearing that it's going to be a computer, like an AI or whatever. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. Cause I, I, for whatever reason, I didn't think of that. Mm. Well, yeah. we were, we talked, we had this theory that um, that tech, you know, technology and humans, you know, those who become the most successful will learn how to manage it as a partnership rather than a dictatorship. So, mm-hmm. um, I guess I'm, you know, I mean. I think everybody's going to have their um, opinion of it until it happens. And then, then it'll all be moot point. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, do you think it's going to happen in our lifetime or do you think it's, you know, we're far off from that, from Uh, that, you know, so I think to a certain extent, it's already here in a lot of ways. Right. Because if you look, you know, one of the saddest, scenes I've ever I see on a daily basis is when I go to work and I'm walk I'm on the subway or walking down the street and I'd say a good three quarters of the people who are on the street aren't looking up, looking yeah. around, looking at windows. Yep. They are looking at their phones. Yeah. So without AI, your phone is already taking over your world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh I beg, I, I, you know, I say that, you know, if you're feared that technology is going to take over the world, it's already kind of done that. Now, yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, when I, I see someone on their phone walking towards me, I don't move. I just sort of, you know, stand there or just continue walking straight. But the most messed up thing is, is that they look at you like you're the jerk. Yes. Like, but you, but you, like what? Even like when people are texting and they're driving and they're swerving and you're honking at them, they're like. They're like what the hell? Like you yep. woke them up from a nap or something? Yep. Like, yep. Yep. <laughs> I had a, I was on the. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I was on the bus going to work one day, and I look out the window and there's a car driving beside us, and I, I kid you not, this person had a Kindle that was um, attached to their steering wheel. 
Okay. That I've thing seen where that. You, I mean, that is what I I've mean. Seen that. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> what is that important that you need to read it as you're driving? <laughs> I've seen that, and I've also seen people have like like a, a little holder for their phones. It's right above their steering wheel, but mm. it's it's on their steering wheel, and uh, they're watching a video while yeah. they're driving. It's like, what the fuck? So, you know, if you're asking me when it's going to happen, it's happened. We, yeah. just, we just haven't looked up. And that's where, I, so so that's where I think the, the fear is, is that technology, that people feel like technology is going to take over when they're not paying attention. Uh-huh. When, you know, but you know what? At that point, it's our fault, not technology's fault. Yeah. Because but the problem is, is that there's so many people that are zombies. They're, you know, they're sheep. They're, they're so, they, they don't see the signs and they don't really, it seems like they don't care enough nope. to, 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 you know, to do anything. And then, so then you're the minority that is like, well, wait a minute, you know? yep. like, yep. look at this. And, and history has shown us that, that, you know, a lot of people can be persuaded to do stupid things mm-hmm. and follow something that's not good for them. Mm-hmm. And, it's, it's that's what's terrible. So, and this brings me actually really nicely into um, my question for you, which is: so I was up on your website. I saw that you had done a trailer on some horror movies. You've got the luring that's um, that you're doing, which is the psychological thriller. Yep. Um, there's obviously. Uh, you have a passion about the genre. Um, mm-hmm. How did you, how did you, you know, where did that come from and where did the inspiration for the film come from? So my parents, my mom and my stepfather, my stepfather died maybe like four years ago, but they had a vacation house up in Vermont. My mother could no longer afford to have it. She lives in uh, Maryland. Mm-hmm. And so she said, I have to sell the house. We've had this house since 1989 in our family. So I was shocked. And but I said, I asked her, can I shoot a film here before you sell it? And she said, OK, sure. Hmm. And having that deadline, because she, she had to go forth with selling the house. But I bought a little bit of time because she it wasn't like she was like, I mean, she was pursuing it. But um, she told the realtor, they said, Okay, we'll 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 only sell it if it could be sold in in May or later. Right. You know, like, so we gave we gave myself a you know a deadline. So that that was the that was really the main, I guess, inspiration to know that I had a deadline. Mm-hmm. And, and then I thought, okay, well, I have to write what I have and and write what I know. Mm-hmm. And I had some ideas floating around in my notebooks that were horror related. I had some you know some were like a short film and. And or just just sentences, ideas, and I and I saw this one sh- script, two scripts that I had, and they worked great as a intro to a film and a, and the way to end a film. Mm-hmm. And somehow I just related it. Uh, I basically used the red balloon as a connection between the two. It just fit, mm-hmm. and so I just concentrated on writing the in between. Hmm. And and made it all work. And having the ending first, um, you know, having that already written out, I I knew where it was going. So that sort of helped me reach that deadline because this all happened in about like maybe seven months. Oh wow! 
So, but I had these, you know, I had these bigger ideas in my head and, and it just really all came together. And luckily I was able to have, you know, I have people in my life that they don't kiss my ass at all. Like they, they tell me the real deal. So I was able to give them the script and they said, great, or this scene isn't really so good, rework it or whatever. So I was able to get that scrutiny uh, towards my script, which which made it a much better script. Mm. And I mean, without that, I don't think the script that I wrote wouldn't have been as good as it is. Um, and, and, and what I really wanted to do, I wanted to write something that had foreshadowing. I wanted to, I didn't want to have gratuitous sex or, or, or just rely on jump scares. I, I really wanted a psychological thriller something that I don't really see so much nowadays. Right. And I mean, I grew up watching, uh, you know, like the shining for instance, right. it's, it's, it's one of my favorite films. And some people say, well, that's not so scary. I'm like, well, a, that, I don't know how you can say it's not so scary, but <laughs> they're just so, they're so used to slasher movies and there's nothing wrong with it, but they're, they're used to a, a different type of scare, like sure. jump scares or whatever. Right. And, and that's great. But I just, I kind of, I, you know, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something that, that I don't necessarily see too often. So that was pretty much the, the, the development of the script and, and how I was able to, uh, you know, you know, get it and, you know, you know, the idea on, on paper and, 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 uh, you know, having that deadline was, it was a major, I mean, having deadlines for creative people is probably the, one of the, the best things we can do because mm -hmm. otherwise it's so easy to just say, well, you know, I'll just write it next time or this, you know, you can make up excuses because yep. if you don't have like a boss saying, well, you better write that script. Like you're your own boss. Yep. So yep. that, that was a major, major help. And, and when we shot the film, we ended shooting on, I think it was May 17th mm -hmm. and May 25th, the new people moved in. So, uh -huh. yeah. And you know, this is a small, house up in Vermont and I'm the next day I'm, I'm scrubbing the floor. Cause I, I, I didn't want my mom to think that, Oh my God, I let my son shoot a film here. And I mean, it was during mud season. So the, the floors were not in the best shape. So right. after directing this film coming off this really big high, I'm on my hands and knees scrubbing <laughs> mud, you know, on, the, on the carpet. but you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's humbling. <laughs> yeah. But you, you know, it kind of us filmmakers have to, yeah. that's, that's the, um, that's the, the kind of the pain and the pleasure of being a filmmaker, indie filmmaker, is that um, you have to learn how to do make concessions here and there, yeah. uh, make cuts, make additions on the fly, and all these different nuances that big budgeted films don't necessarily have to do. And mm -hmm. uh, I think I think it's good, you know. I I think it's good to kind of do that, like early in your career because i think it it builds a better a better director um in, in than than if you decided well i'm um i'm going to come out of grad school and my aunt has a million dollars and it's going to give me it and i'm going to just go ahead and do it i, I, I yeah. you know i think you lose a, a little bit of the the, the grit of oh, being totally. a director you know i couldn't agree with you more i, I think that I mean, this is my first feature film. I mean, I've done short films before and mm -hmm. I own a production company and all that stuff, but this is way different. Right. So, you know, I was scared. I was excited. Every emotion that went into it, but, but, but keeping it real and, and having that grit and, 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 you know, I mean, I'm, I was a director, but I was also a PA right. you know, on, my, on my own film and, and it should be that way. Yep. 
you know, I mean, it's it's you, when you when I think because I went to school of visual arts in the 90s, and this is when oh, wow. a lot of these um, really great independent films were coming out, like Clerks and yep. Slackers and uh, Brothers McMullen. And I've always loved those films. Not only did I love the films, but I loved the stories on how these filmmakers with really no money made their movies. Mm -hmm. And and I don't I don't really see so many of those films now i mean obviously youtube you know you, you can see a lot of stuff but it's just it's not the same but right. and 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 i just i i have people nowadays when they think of independent films the, the, it's a 10 million dollar budget yep. but back when i was in college when someone said independent you thought clerks yeah yeah you know and, yeah. and it, that, like no that's low budget or micro budget or whatever and it like but to me when i was like that's what we thought associated you know the word independent yep and yep. and uh you don't really see those those micro budgets films anymore that that have staying power and and I I don't know why or you know what what the reason is but um, mm. I think I think part of it and this is where those films um, or the film creation process is different is it was a little more it was harder to to do um, post and editing and all of those things. It was more expensive process because, mm-hmm. you know, now we're shooting in digital and, yeah. you know, uploading to a server and all those good things that eliminates, you know, and people are self-editing a lot of their stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a little, uh, that part of the process is just a little bit less, um, time-consuming and, and expensive. And also, I think that um, because we're doing it in digital and you can pick up a phone or you can buy a cheap camera, um, it's just easier for a film. Like, if if I were coming out of school this year, I, I could have already made 10 or 15 short films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know... As opposed to, you know, when, you know, I, I came out of school or you came out of school, you probably, if you, you it took longer for you to make a, that, that those shorts. So yeah, you're know, shooting in film. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah, you're shooting in film. Oh. And so, and also the, you needed a, a team that understood shooting in film, which mm-hmm. was much more different than finding a team that, that you're doing now. Um, mm-hmm. and technically, you know, if you, you have three people, you got a production company now, whereas before, you know, you had to have a good, well, you still need them now too, but you, I think since you're sitting in film, the process of, of creating that film was a little bit more difficult. So I think there's an appreciation factor for those uh, films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, mm-hmm. I, I personally loved that era of filmmaking. So Me too. I mean, I, I just, when I look at, you know, quote, independent films now, I, you know, I'll go to IMDb or, or you, know, you know, just trying to find, the, you know, the budget, I'm like $10 million. Yeah. Holy cow. Like, like that's, I, I haven't seen a really good, ultra low budget film in a very long time. And, and, mm-hmm. but in the nineties, they were all over the place mm-hmm. and, and not to say that they're not out there because I know that they are, right. but it's just, it's just, I don't know. I, I feel that I thought 
and, and you're right. It's a lot easier to make a film, and that could be good or bad because then that means right. everyone's making films, and right. and that kind of can water it down. And 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 sometimes uh, it's harder maybe to find the you know a really good ultra low budget or micro budget film. Yep. Um, but it's just I I don't know. Like I I, I it's ten million dollars. My God. Like Man, imagine what we could do with ten million dollars. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, just to have a script supervisor to worry about continuity, like I'm, I'm doing that, right? And right. and and it's just, holy cow! I mean, like yeah. just to, you know, just to pay people to worry about certain aspects of your film, so you don't have to. Um, that would just be a really nice thing. But having said that, I'm so glad for my first film that I didn't have that. Right. I, I want to have it to be harder for me. I want to have a box so I can creatively think outside that box right. and. You know, like you said, if if someone gets out of film school and, and and all of a sudden, you know, they're they're given a huge budget, that's not the way to do it because that's not, you know, then 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 you see these films that are very formulaic and you know, like, you know, they're not they're not they don't have their backs against the wall. If, if it's given to them, it's they don't have to fight for it, and right. and you can see that in their screenwriting and the and and the directing and because it, you have to you have to crawl before you walk. I feel. Yeah, yeah. I mean the the rarity of finding a really good film in that situation is, you know, rare. I mean, it's like prodigy level type stuff. And yeah, um, yeah I think you, you, you end up, uh, you don't get the product as, as well as if you had to um, shoot a bunch of shorts and, you know, go through, through a lot of the writing process and uh, grind out trying to, find funding for it and all that good stuff so so yeah, when is I, um so the luring so tell me like wh where are you guys at like so has it released yet or what like where are you guys going with it so we just finished the final credits in early january of this year and we started submitting to festivals we didn't we knew that we missed sundance and tribeca right um, and South by Southwest and, and, you know, I wish we didn't, but you know, that's the way it goes. We, I didn't want to wait a whole other year just to cross my fingers to hope that I would get into those festivals. Right. So we, we started, we're, we're now entering submitting to festivals now and, okay. um, we're, you know, very hopeful that we're going to get in and we're submitting obviously in New York, you know, cause I live in Brooklyn uh, and we shot it in Vermont. So we're, we're, we're doing the whole coast, mm. but also submitting to other films all over um, mm. trying to diversify. And so we're going to be doing another, in, we, we raised our money through private investors and Indiegogo. So now we're going to probably do another Indiegogo to raise money to help pay for the festival fees, because a lot of people don't realize it's not just paying for the festival fee. It's, you have to then create a file to show it, yeah. you know, usually it's a TCP file to show it at the festival. And then right. you need a backup and then you need posters and then you need, you know, all these other people involved, like a publicist and, you know, it adds up and right. being a filmmaker, we put all our money in production and I'm glad that we did because at least we have a good product. Right. But now it's like, okay. <laughs> now you got to have see people see it and you yeah. do that. You got to be able to market it and promote yep. it and, and yeah. obviously the the screeners uh, the, for the festival have to be top quality because yep. what's the point of putting all that work in if it's <laughs> not a good quality? And, and festivals get really picky about what kind of um, 
uh, files and quality that they receive. And obviously they will, you know, the, the bigger ones especially will get a little annoyed and, and try not to screen it if they don't have to. So, yeah, there's always a reason for people to say no. Yep. And so even in, in post-production, um, we wanted it to get color corrected. We wanted everything to look perfect. So when we're showing the film, there's no excuses. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even realize, or I didn't, I wasn't, I was thinking of music, obviously when I was writing the film and even production and soon after, but then I thought, you know, we should have an original score. So we mm-hmm. definitely um, lucked out. We uh, met this person, his name is Al Creed and he lives in uh, Philadelphia. So I was going back and forth from Brooklyn to, to Philly mm-hmm. and uh, having an original score, I think really brings us bumps up bumps us up a little bit because we're not we're not relying on someone else's music to try to fit it in we we it's tailor-made to our film and i think we especially with horror films it just makes it so much better i mean all mm-hmm. the greatest horror films have an original score yep. and uh that i think was a very smart move i mean i just tr- concentrated on making the best film possible and then i'll worry about the festivals but now that i've done that now i'm worrying about the festivals so it's like you never take a break you never you never i'm always worried always stressed out (laughs) (laughs) there's never like a time when you're like oh i can relax now no because there's always money to be raised there's always things that have to happen and it's not like i have like a staff of anybody it's it's really me and my co-producer brian berg Mm -hmm. and we're the only two people that are you know doing all the work right and there's a lot of work as you know as you know there's a lot of work that has to be done and you know, and then you have to live life. You have to, you know, pay rent and eat. Yeah. And, and eat <laughs> and live. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, I was looking at your cast and I feel like I, so there's um, Henry uh, Gagliardi. Yeah. And I feel like I've seen him somewhere. I've seen him in other things. How did you, so how did you do your casting? Because you have a, your cast is actually pretty tight. Yeah, thank God uh, we uh, – I, I at first was just going to put something in backstage <laughs> and just do it that way because that's what I'm used to. Right. And uh, my friend Mary, who is has a small part in the film, she said, no, 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 no. You have to uh, go through – I forget the website. It's uh, – uh, I can't think of it right now. But it's a website where you post your characters and then they distribute those – uh, that casting to all the agents and whatever. Oh, really? Yeah, I've got it. I can't think of it right now. When you get a um, chance, please let me let me know. I don't know about that. Yeah. Um. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, it was great. So we were, and it also has a calendar in it, hmm. so you can you set up the calendar. Um. You know the time slots of when you want to see people, and they get notified automatically. It's it's um it's oh, great. Wow. That's cool. And. So we so we did that, and then we um, we rented a studio at Shetler's Studio, you know, in Manhattan. Yep. And uh, we just saw really great, interesting people, and you know, so we got them through that. We got everyone through through that system, mm-hmm. and so um, you know, pretty much every all the actors had maybe one or two didn't have an agent, but all of them had agents. All mm-hmm. the agents were super super nice, very accommodating. Um, you know, obviously you get those questions when you're shooting a, a an ultra low budget film. Everyone thinks, "Well, am I going to have a bed to sleep on? Are you going to Are you going to feed me? Are, you know, oh, all God. these necessities." And of course, we were like, "Of course we will." Like we, Brian and I, 
and Sandy are, we have, it's three of us basically, mm -hmm. but we all thought, you know what, if we're going to do this, we got to make sure that everyone's taken care of because nothing, I think one of the reasons why when you see a, an ultra low budget film and if it's not so great, it's because people are angry because they're <laughs> not being fed. They don't have a proper place to sleep. Yep. And, and we just thought, you know what, like, why don't we just raise a little extra money and make sure that everyone has their own bedroom, that, you know, we, we, we hired a really great caterer that didn't just serve pizza. They actually served, uh, I'm actually a vegan, so they had vegan food, but they had, you know, other food too that wasn't vegan. Well, cool. I mean, it was all healthy. So you actually felt energized after when you ate it. It wasn't just carbs and cheap mm. food, potato chips. I mean, it was, and those little things, even though it costs the production more money, you get more bang for your buck because then everyone's happy. They're not complaining. Right. And, and then they can con concentrate on, doing a great job. They're not gossiping on the corner thinking, Oh my God, you know, I can't wait for this film to be over. Mm, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, so, but it was funny, like how everyone kind of was a little concerned about that at first, because the horror stories that I've heard were just incredible. I, I just, it's, it's like slavery. Some of these film sets that, yeah. that um, you know, some of the cast and crew were talking about like, Oh know, yeah. When I, so I used to be an actor and um, I got out of acting and into the behind the camera stuff because of that situation. There was a, I don't want to mention what movie, but it was a pretty big name Hollywood budgeted movie that um, I was uh, cast in and... I remember distinctly it was a um it was one night it was we had to be at set of four AM and we so I got there, you know, and we were literally in this the basement of this building, this office building. There was like hundreds of people and you know, they're you know, fitting us for uh costume uh wardrobe and everything and and I remember we were there for about 17 hours uh, <laughs> underneath oh, wow. in this dark, cramped, <laughs> hot basement with oh. all they gave us was um, to eat was these little tiny bottles of water and little bag, these little airline sized bags of crackers oh, for, for 17 hours. And I remember thinking, if this is what acting is... Yeah. I'm not sure I want to do it because this is ridiculous. They're going to make millions of dollars off of this movie and they uh -huh. can't even afford to, you know, bring us in. Like, look, I get that there's delays on set. Shit happens. I get it. But when, it, but at least feed and treat those people good because, you know, I mean, seriously, 17 hours. Come on. No, that's horrible. I mean, I don't. And the the sad thing is, they'll always find someone that's willing to do that. Yes. That, 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 and and that's what yes. we as artists really need to stop doing. We need to say, you know what, this isn't right because it, it hurts everybody. When 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 someone is willing to be treated as subhuman, and they're willing to do that, mm -hmm. and the and the film and the you know producers and directors know that. Well, then, then you screw it up for everybody else. But if we band together and say, you know what? No, we, we need some basic, you know, living conditions that are, that are just basic then yeah. <laughs> because they'll take advantage of you. And, and it's just, it's, it's not right. It's and, not right. At all. And let me tell you, so like, there's a lot of those people that end up 
down the line becoming producers, directors, actors of some note. Like if you if you treat them well now, in like mm-hmm. four years when you do go to do another film, they will drop everything to work with you because mm-hmm. they know that you're going to treat them well. And that is value beyond anything to be able to know that you have a, a like a list of really good actors who you've worked with before and they understand your process and they trust what you're going to do and when you reach out to them they're going to be sure no problem as opposed to well I worked with him before or I heard someone mm-hmm. who worked with him and yeah. his set was a mess yeah, that's that's so true. I mean, it's a small world and you just want people to respect you and talk, you know, nice things about you. And mm-hmm. it doesn't take much. But I mean, I, I've, I've seen it with my own eyes, but just hearing um, horror stories from the cast and crew. I mean, I just it's it's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, just just have decency. And, and, and it just, I don't I never got I never understood why treat people like crap? You're not going to get the best. And when you're talking about art, you need them to to be at their best because it's all subjective. And if they're, it's not like I don't know, adding arithmetic. You know, there's a right or wrong way of doing it. It's either it's going to add up to a number or it's not. But when you're dealing with art and lighting and acting and everything, it's 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 how they express themselves. If they're not truly happy with their situation, it's going to suffer, and then you lose. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make any sense. It's counterproductive. But so, yet, you know, they do it. <laughs> so going back to your um, – so you said you went to school at SVET, right? And um, yep. so was was film – like where like when you were there, like what was your – how did you get into film, I guess? Like, where did you decide, eh, this is something I want to do? Or did it kind of, kind of, because I know you were doing, you are like doing more, like some agency stuff. I saw you did some Fashion Week video and stuff. So mm-hmm. where did the love for for being in this genre kind of come from, being in the film space? So it, it's, it actually started in high school. I, I was in Glen Cove High School. I got kicked out of Spanish class because I was making the whole class laugh. And the Spanish <laughs> teacher says, I'll give you a 65 if you just – you can't come back to class. I'll let you pass. With a, 65 was a passing grade. Mm. 64 was failing. Mm. And she just said, but just don't come to class. So I, I so after week two of just roaming the halls or just not getting into trouble, you know, just staying out of trouble, mm. Mr. Ruckert, who, who was in charge of the TV production uh, – section of the school, which was a senior class. I was a sophomore at the time said, Hey, why don't you come in here and sit and, and observe the class? And then when you're a senior, you know, I'll recommend you to take this class. And so for two years, I just sat quietly watching seniors write, direct, edit every, I couldn't believe the amount of money and, and the professionalism of this class. I mean, they somehow some millionaire, um, gave, um, a, I don't know what they, they, they gave money to this um, class and, and the whole school, none of the rest of the rest of the school couldn't touch the money. Mm. So every year they were getting new equipment. I mean, it was top of the line stuff. We, they had a green screen. This is, you know, and I graduated school from like uh, in high school from uh, 1991. Right. So, um, so anyway, so that, so for the first time as a student who struggled in school, my, my SATs were like horrible. Um, 
I don't even want to tell you what I got. I mean, it was really bad. I mean, I, I was struggling in, in school. I just, I, I was more, I was creative, not, I don't have a school, I'm not book smart. Mm. <laughs> and so, so, but the first time in my life, I felt smart because I could write a script. I knew how things could, could go together. I, I could, I could edit and, and Mr. Ruckard allowed us to do all these things. So mm. I wasn't just learning one aspect, like some other schools, I was learning everything. Right. And so by the time I went to college, I really had a, a foundation. I thought, okay, this is what I want to do. Th this is, I have a passion for this and I'm actually good at it. So by the time I went to SVA, um, you know, I had that foundation behind me and I was just making a, you know, a bunch of short films and I, I made a PSA um, for Partnership for Drug Free America. And I'm a big pothead, so I had to make it anti-crack because <laughs> I didn't want to be naive. <laughs> so I was like, all right. So, and, and that actually um, was the first um, partnership for Drug Free America that aired nationally that was produced by a, a non-agency, a non-advertising agency. I was a student at the time. Wow. So I was competing with all these, all these, uh, uh, you know, big wig, you know, advertising agencies and, and somehow they picked mine and, uh, and I, and I treated it like a short film. It was a 30 second short film about a kid playing basketball, but he ruins his life because he smoked crack once. And, and it was, an, this person was, was observing this, this character and they hmm. really liked it. I didn't get paid and no, no money or whatever, but I you know, I was thrilled and it validated me in a sense. Uh, hmm. you know, it wasn't just making short films for myself, but it was like, I can make something that other people like and other people who I admire. I mean, it was like gray advertising and all these big advertising people that were on the board that said, okay, this guy can make something good. So mm. that was nice. And, and then from there, I, you know, just was making my own short films. I, I worked at Cablevision, um, <laughs> making, uh, I was a writer, director, producer for these really low budget commercials. Mm. And I did it for two years. Then I left and I started my own business. But that time at Cablevision taught me how to, you have no budget. You're walking into a, a store, a mom and pop store, and you have to make a commercial and you have all these things against you and you have to try to make it good. Right. Or at least I did. And right. so, again, there's these walls. These, you know, you're in a box and how do you make it good? And, you know, you're using the act. The actors that you have are the owners. So, you know, you really don't have a lot to play with. So after when I felt that I could no longer learn from that experience, I, I you know, I did. I opened up my own business and. You know, I primarily make money doing business, uh, videos for various companies, and, and I'm also a professional photographer. But so that passion really started from high school and, and just, you know, getting kicked out of Spanish class. I, I can't speak Spanish, but at least I can, <laughs> which sucks. I, it does put me at a disadvantage, but at least, you know, I have a good story. And, I, and, I, and you know, I, I, would, I wouldn't have found that class if, if it wasn't for that, for that Spanish teacher. So I, I should really be thanking her. <laughs> wow. I mean... It is, you know, there's so many different ways people um, end up to their destination, especially with, I think, with um, within the film space and um, different reasons why people uh, decide to take it on. But it's nice to know that um, because... And you know that's a great that's a great example of when when um, education works for you like and where teachers are so important because mm, yeah you know no one knows at that time what what you're destined to be or do so to have a have those kind of teachers uh, 
just allows um, you to continue your growth in whichever direction you decide to do it instead of um, being, you know, there's, you know, being restricted. And I, I feel like, you know, I, I wish my teachers in grammar school and, you know, maybe like the, you know, middle school, I wish they had been a little bit more in that line. High school, yeah, I went to a all boys high school. They were dicta- it was a dictatorship. So okay. um, you know, I, I didn't unfortunately get into the industry until late um, after after I graduated. But mm. you know, those are um, you you make best with what you got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really does. You bring up a good point. It really, if I didn't have great teachers, if Mister Ruckard didn't put me under his wing and, 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 and see, I was never a, a, a troubled kid or I didn't, I didn't really get into any trouble, but I, I was having a lot of difficulty with school. And so maybe some teachers thought that I was a lost cause. I don't really know what they thought, but Mr. Sure. Rutherford saw something in me that I didn't at the time seen myself. Right. And, and I couldn't believe the whole into my whole entire life up to that point, I, I felt stupid and mm-hmm. I really did. And I didn't have, a great self you know, esteem or, and, and, you know, looking at my grades, I just, I just couldn't get good grades. Right. But when I took that class and he let me sit in, um, that was really special to me because, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in the corner watching this class for two years before I, before I become a senior. I mean, that was unheard of. I mean, you know, I mean that, that was very special to, to have me have that opportunity. And so I really owe a lot to him mm. and, and obviously, the great teachers at SVA—they they were really uh, fundamental and in, in, in really fine-tuning. But everything that I've learned, I really—it all goes back to the basics. It all goes back to Mr. Ruckard, and I think that's probably true with most filmmakers. Uh, you, you know, the, the the base that you learn when you first learn film, whether it's script writing or whatever aspect filmmakers are concentrating in, the foundation is—you never leave that. You never—you never can. It's like a boxer. You know, the jab is a very basic punch. So mm-hmm. you, you know, you might perfect it, but, but it's, it's the jab. You know? right. it's, and then once you learn how to, to effectively throw it, um, you, you're never going to forget it. And, um, yep. so it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, I feel grateful and, and lucky that, you know, I got kicked out of Spanish class and, 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 and was able to sit in and, uh, you know, really just, and even just as an editor, I mean, as a, as a filmmaker to learn editing is so important because, I think a good director should really know how to edit. They don't, they may not have to press all the buttons. Right. I mean, I do. I mean, I edit a lot of my own stuff. I didn't obviously edit the feature. Right. Lucas Labataglia did. And he did an amazing job, but, right. um, but I, but, but knowing how to edit. And when I went to, when I went to SVA, most of the students there didn't know how to edit. I mm. thought, wow, that's how do you, how do you make a film if you don't know how to edit? Right. Right. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, you, sp- you know, I, when making a film, I think your best friend is going to be your DP and your editor. I mean, those are going to be the ones you lean on. And, and it bodes well for you to know what they're doing and being able to know how to do it. Regardless if you decide to do it all the time, I, I feel like you're right. That's there. You know, don't don't be one of these. You know, I'm just a creative visionary guy there are plenty of visionaries who are not making anything 
yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, all the great, the story, you know, of all the filmmakers that I admire, um, I would say most, if not all of them, have told me stories where they spent days like sleeping on a couch in their editor's house, you know, (laughs) being up all night working on it and, you know, together. Though, you know, those are when stories like those, because the editing is the story. I mean, it's really, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's the story. Uh, And if you don't know how to tell, if you don't know how to edit, then you don't know how to tell your story. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's also not only that, it's also there are times when you when obviously when you're shooting an ultra low budget film, sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes something happens to the camera or yep. or, or whatever, or you the, the weather doesn't cooperate. And, and now you have to edit yourself out of something. <laughs> and if you don't know how to edit, if you don't know how to make a story work for, you know, outside of that or what, what you thought originally was going to happen, then the, that sucks. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's really important. I mean. Any director, if they, if they want to direct, they really need to know how to edit because it's also the pacing. It's 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 everything. Right. And there there are times when you can work with an actor. Um, I once did a um, a short film that I had this actor who did a lot of soap operas, mm-hmm. and so I casted him. But he he did he wasn't the greatest in in terms of being a, like a real actor, uh, not real actor. But he 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 couldn't portray being real on screen. He it was very soap opera ish. Gotcha. So I broke him down. I, I just had him basically do one to three sentences, and then I then I paused because I knew that he could at least get that. Right. But in editing, of course, I knew if I'm going to have if I'm going to call cut every three sentences, and he's got let's say 25 <laughs> sentences to say, you have to be you have to know how to edit that. Yeah. <laughs> and so you have to think of you know what, what B-roll shots. What how am I gonna how am I gonna make this work? Yeah. And if I didn't have that editing background, I would I wouldn't I just would have let him suck on camera, and then the short film would have wouldn't have been yeah. as good. So that's the whole other aspect of it. <laughs> that's great. So, like, what's your favorite kind of stuff to like um, do? Like, what's your? Uh, I, you've done a lot of different types of content. It looks like, and I actually was looking at um, some of the video on your website where um, you did some uh, the fashion week stuff, which was really good, actually. Oh, thanks. Um, you know how how do you? Uh, you know, like, where do you think you'll like want to be? Do you is doing uh, feature length stuff um, in the future? Do you want to do more? You know, stick to more commercial work and kind of just work on films as a passion project. Oh no, I want to do features. That that's. I mean, I basically do these videos for businesses to to live. Sure. Um, it's real. I, I you know I would love one day to close up shop and say I'm just doing features exclusively. And I would also like to. I have a, a lot of interest in doing uh, music videos because they're basically they're short films. Oh, um, um, but I, I I after I have another script that I wrote that um, I would like to do after this film. Um, I'm hoping that this film opens up opportunities, um, but I w- my next project I want to d- direct another feature. That that's when I was on set, and I've been on set before, but there was nothing like being on a on a on a feature film set, being the director. I, I felt okay. I'm a, I'm in my element. I I know what I'm doing. It's it it. This is where I'm supposed to be, and so my I that's 
my goal to to just continue doing feature films. Mm. I, I I just love telling a story of that length, um, and it, it was really the happiest I've ever been in my life. Just it was scary, but it, I just felt so good about myself and and confident and 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 humble too and and grateful. I mean, mm. I, I was extreme. Still am, obviously. I mean. I mean, we, we had a we had a porta potty outside, and I made damn sure that I wasn't going to be the only asshole going to the bathroom inside <laughs> the bathroom, you know, in the house. I was going right. to the porta potty, and I did that because I wanted everyone on the cast and crew. Well, the cast was able to use the inside bathroom, right. um, and they allowed they you know they one of the PA said you know this is for cast and producers. I was like screw that, make it just for the actors because if, if they if the cast or I'm sorry if the crew sees me going to the bathroom in a right. nice inside bed. I know it sounds stupid, but those little things, and it's because I was so grateful for everyone. I mean, we paid out, we paid everyone to be on set. Right. And I felt that we paid everyone fairly, but you're still not paying them enough. It's, they're still busting their ass. They're still, you know, we never went over 12 hours, any days that we shot, which is, I think, amazing. And that's a, a we had a great AD, right. but, but you still have to lead by example. And directing isn't just telling actors what to do or where the shot is, you also have to, you know, I would have been an arrogant asshole if I would have went to the bathroom upstairs. It, no, mm -hmm. you, you, it, those are, and, you know, and, and, and I think that, because you, you have to be grateful, and if you if you leave, if, if you lead by being grateful, then you make really good decisions. If you lead by being arrogant, then people start resenting you, they, they don't, they wish you not so well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah. So what was the, you know, what was the most, since this is your first one, what was the most surprising thing you, you, about the experience you think? Well, there was a lot. One of them was it rained for 15 consecutive days. <laughs> and my eight, my AD comes to me, goes, I've never in my whole life have ever seen a, a forecast raining 15 consecutive days. It was mud season in Vermont. Wow. So we shot from April 14th to, and we ended, I think it may 17th, but mm -hmm. so how I was amazed how he scheduled us in between rainstorms and it worked. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that happened, but there was, there were scenes that we shot where we literally only had a half an hour to get it right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, that we just had to shoot between rainstorms sometimes and, mm -hmm. but we never were waiting and we were all, and he just was able to, finagle the, the the schedule with you know obviously all these other actors and their schedules and when they're supposed to be on set because we had people coming and going we right. had our we had our core cast of 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 the two protagonists but then we had obviously supporting roles and you know when these people come you can't hold them for two, you know they have to leave that you because every day that they stay obviously you're paying for that you're paying for their food and their their transportation and their and their lodging Right. So he was able to finagle it with 15. We, it was a 22 day shoot. We, we broke for every five to six days for two days. Um, and, but 15 consecutive days it rained. And when I say rain, it wasn't like a drizzle. It was mm. serious rain. And that surprised me how we pulled it off. Just that, <laughs> just the, just the rain and just dealing with that. I was like, I can't believe that we pulled this off mm. that, with all the other things that an independent filmmaker has to go through. But 15 days of rain is a little bit. Yeah. More and then, you know, like, what the fuck? That's insane. It and it and it made it for a better, for a better uh, film. Mm. And I and I, I I didn't think it then because I was stressing out, 
thinking, oh my God, please don't rain today. But if, you know, <laughs> of course it did. But it, it for whatever reason, it just it, it made it the performances that we had. Again, you know, putting myself in that in that box and thinking of ways. Okay, well, how do we? We have a half an hour to shoot this scene. Can we do it in one shot, in right. one dolly shot, or how can we cover this in a creative way? Right. And and that's what it did. It forced me to think. It forced me to keep thinking. Okay, how do we pull this off? And because mm-hmm. you're being thrown curveballs left and right, and you just have to figure out how do I? You can't give up. You got to come up with an idea that makes it seem like you came up. You wanted it to be that way. Right. It can't. It can't suck. Your ideas can't just because it's going to rain. You still have to get a great shot, and it can't you. It can't hinder your film. Sure. You you can't make that. I can't go to the you know when this when the film plays. I can't whisper in everyone's ear, say, "Oh, but it rained that day." So so don't look at that scene with such a critical <laughs> eye. You know you can't do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what's one what's one lesson you take out of uh, out of out of this that you would you know, pass along to other filmmakers who are about to shoot their first uh, film. Film. I I would say that the way we raised the money, and I think this is very important, and this is I think real advice that we shot the first few scenes. Like you know, I told. Remember when I told you like when I first wrote the script, I wrote like the first scenes, and then the and then then the last scene. Like I, I call them buttons. Yep. And the and the setup the 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 hook was about maybe four or five scenes or whatever and and then the film kind of, then you're introduced to the main cast after the the hook mm-hmm. so we shot that first and we showed investors and they knew okay these guys know how to shoot a film it looks good it doesn't look like it's low budget and then we were able to raise the rest of the money through private you know, through private investors and also through Indiegogo. I think if anyone's, if anyone's really thinking about doing a film, you got to have skin in the game and you have to show people what this film is going to look like. And you can't just shoot a scene. I think you got to shoot more than just a scene. Mm. Investors really need to see, okay, what am I going to invest in? Because to be quite honest, everyone that invests in independent films, they're investing because they, they believe in you and they want to support the arts. They're not necessarily, and of course this is a business and we know that, I want everyone to make money, but they're really doing it because they they they're passionate about art. And well, if you're going to be passionate about art, you better show them something to be passionate about. Right. And it really comes down to shooting something, showing your talents, and showing them, hey, I put ten thousand. I mean, I put actually thirty five thousand of my own money into this, but at the time I, it was only ten. And but that's impressive. So some so the investors say, okay, well, you've got skin in the game. You're not just Asking me for money, you're willing to, and I'm not rich. My apartment's not big, so right. if I say I put thirty five thousand, you'd be like, really? Damn. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, that's real talk. I mean, you know. So and and, and so I think that's real advice. If you you, know, you got you got to shoot something to show it, and and I thought that was that was probably my biggest, not takeaway, but probably one of the best lessons I've learned, and and what I would tell all filmmakers because. Mm. Everyone wants money. Everyone want, and you got to write a script that doesn't have Godzilla blowing up the <laughs> Empire State Building. I mean, really, write something that you know you can do for, you know, an ultra low budget. Ultra yep. low budget, I think, is up to uh, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I yep. think so. You you want you want to keep it realistic because if you're writing something that's beyond that, you know, a three million dollar film, it's 
and and you've never i mean that's that's a lot harder to get because all of our investors they put in you know 10 20 30,000. Right. And so that's you know so it's it's easier for them to part from that money than it is asking someone for a million dollars or 3 million or whatever. Right. 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 And it's also um I mean, you got to think past the festival run, which is to hopefully get it into a di- the distribution p- platform to make some yeah. of the money back. So totally. you, the lower your budget, the more likely it is you might yeah. e- at least break even. You know yeah. what I mean? So That's huge. Yeah. it's A lot of people don't, you know, they don't think uh, that far down the road. I, I always tell them you got to, your film is a, is a product you're a businessman you've got to think about the whole life of this film regardless of whether it's finished or it's just on piece of paper you've got to have a plan for the whole life of this project um because you know especially if you're taking other people's money so yeah you got to respect their money and they they you need to let them know yep that you're going to respect and so we also hired a lawyer when we approached these investors Mm -hmm. and they and he broke it down how the money's going to be broken down and what a minimum investment is and all that other stuff so they're like okay these guys are doing it right they they showed us the art we like the art they've got this lawyer on board everything seems like they are treating it like a business right and and so that's that you bring up a really good point because it's even though people want to support the arts they also don't want to just throw their money away right and if you can make money off your film, which of course we're, that's what we're hoping to do, um, you gotta you gotta you gotta have all your ducks in a row. You can't just be an artist and be flighty about it. These are people's money, and, and yeah, that they're definitely richer than I am, but it's still their money, and they've worked hard for it. And you bet you you gotta respect it. You know? yep. And another thing, you can't use their money for anything other than the film. Exactly. You cannot. I, I know a lot of filmmakers have done that, and that's the worst thing, biggest disrespect. Yep. That you can never do is you know use it for a lobster dinner. <laughs> you know, yep. Like and it's no. a dangerous thing because listen, you do that and somehow you suddenly realize you need money for X, Y, or Z, and that money that you spent was supposed to go through that. You yep. can't go back to them and say, "Oh, by the way, well, we don't we need more money." They're looking at you. Well, what happened to? I thought we had a plan in place for where it was going to be spent. And you shouldn't be having to ask us for more money. Yeah. So yeah, we, exactly. You know, and you just, you know, you, you can't be seen also. I, I, back in the day when I lived in Long Island, I know, I know this filmmaker that he was, he took someone's people's money for his film, but he bought himself a car. He was flying from New York to California when he didn't have to do that. And he was he was claiming that it was all for his film. I'm like, we ended up, I ended up suing him because he, stuck me with a, a cell phone bill that he didn't want to pay. Wow. Like you bought yourself a, a nice sports car. Like what? Yeah. I mean, there's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's just, that's, that's why I think un- unfortunately it's hard for people to raise money for films because there are so many horror stories. There's so many charlatans out there that just want to take money and just do whatever. They're not going to respect the money. And, and, and then unfortunately there's a lot of filmmakers that, really need to develop their script a little bit better before they start raising money because their script, you know, I've seen a lot of bad films also. Yeah. And, and, uh, and you know, it's not to, obviously I I respect anyone that makes a film bad or good. It's, Hey, you you did it at least. Um, but from an investor's perspective, 
you know, you, you, you also want to invest in a good script. You know? yeah. I mean, at least have a fighting chance. Yeah, know? I mean, there's nothing, I think from an investor standpoint, there's nothing better than opening night for them. And, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of like there's three, there's three parts of the process that they love. There's the first time they, they see the finished work. There's the um, um, opening night, the first time it gets screened. And then award season, the, yeah. you know, when and if there's awards that come along through the festivals and stuff. Those, because at that point, they, they, you know, if you make money, it's great. But they, they're in it, like you said, they're, they're betting on, their passion is about your passion. And if yeah. your passion pays off in these accolades, for them, that is, they love that stuff. Mm -hmm. And they, they, you know, they're out there smiling and shaking hands and meeting people and telling people how great, the film they invested is and yeah. how um and you know whether you made ten dollars or ten million dollars uh if they if you can show them that you're that you're serious about what you're doing you're doing it the right way the right people are receiving your content the right way and mm -hmm. you um you 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 honor the agreements that you set forth when borrowed that money, yep, that is um, valuable. Going, I mean, your next project is pretty much funded if you want it to be. Um, I, I, I think I was there was a story about Denzel Washington in when he, um, he was doing Fences. Um, he also produced all of the. Um, August, um, August, uh, see, August Williams um, projects on Broadway. So when hmm. they were come, when they were planning on doing the Broadway shows, um, they were looking for money, and they started talking to Denzel about. It. And Denzel was really passionate because he's a big fan of of the uh, of the, um, the the theater plays, and and he's they they he had no problem he, they told him what the plan was and he goes i got it don't worry about it that's you awesome know? because and because they had worked with him before and they had done right by him before and he when it came time for them to do the theater plays he was like i got he's like i, I i'm producing those I'll, he's like i want to come on and produce them, so i'll give you the money and he also took a budget cut for when he did the movie so because he was passionate about the, the putting those on on screen, but also because the people who were working to put this together had built cred with him mm -hmm. based on him having funded other film projects for them before. And they they did what they said they were going to do. And you, like that. And that was 12, 13 years ago. Mm. <laughs> so they had no knowledge that we're going to do all of this. Um, but if they hadn't took and taken that seriously, those plays and that movie would have never happened um, mm. the way it did. So I, I truly believe you, you know treat treat you know treat the process right, treat your people right, and you should be good. You know so yeah, nothing beats art. I mean, you were saying that, you know the, the 
you know, it's people people get excited about premiere and you know the premiere and and uh, she, seeing it on the big screen and seeing their their project completed. You know, these investors and nothing beats, I think, uh, seeing art that you're part of because mm-hmm. it's it's just such. I mean, I mean, think about our culture. I mean, everything is is based on all the cool stuff is is art related. You know, so people want to be part of that. Um, because some some people don't have the means or the lifestyle where they can be involved with art, and uh, so these for these investors to see something that they're part of and it's an art project, you know, a film, mm-hmm. I think that's going to bring joy to them. So, yep. yep, I think that's awesome. Well, um, so where can people keep up with what you're doing and? The follow. Oh, and you know, if there's, you know, it, tell people like when they can expect to, you know, possibly um, hear more about uh, your upcoming projects. Uh, well, I think for the luring, the the feature film that that I did, I think they should just go to the theluring dot com, and they can also check us out the luring on Facebook, um, and that's where we'll be up, you know, letting people know what festivals we're in and all that kind of stuff. And I guess uh, through there, um, I guess through my, my website, uh, kpictures.com, um, I'll be posting stuff beyond the luring. Uh, after, after when this film um, you know, gets into festivals, then, sure. then obviously I'll, I'll do some other projects and I'll, and I'll post it there. But for now, I think you know, the luring.com is probably the best place that they can go. And from there, like we have uh, access to our Facebook and Instagram and all that other kind of fun stuff, but we're going to be updating that. We'll we'll be putting the Indiegogo campaign on the website as well, and um, you know we, we're trying to communicate to everyone. You know we've got a small but passionate following, and and uh, and it's fun to communicate with them and give them updates. and And I think that that's also important. It's also great for marketing, but it's also I think that you know a lot of these people gave us money or time or effort. And uh, in return, at least I want to be able to, to tell them everything that, w- that we're doing. And if anyone that um, just is very interested in the project or they, they love horror films, um, you know, getting to the website would probably be the best way for them to, to learn more about it. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate you taking time and talking to me. Oh, I, me had a great, I had a ball. Me and, too. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing where you guys are playing because festivals is where I go and I'll be wherever it goes. I'll hopefully I'll get to check it out when it's in the festivals, but oh, that'd be um, great. And we'll obviously let everybody know when, when it's, when you're out there in the world and um, get people out there to, to watch. And cause I think I love the trailer. The trailer was excellent. Oh, thank you so much. And you know, I'm, I'm a, uh, you know, I, I like I'm like you. I like these intelligent, um, uh, you know, horror thriller movies that go beyond the physical and, and, and kind of give you a, a you know a, some dialogue that really holds you to the story and keeps yeah. you gripped. You know, so I think I think people want to be an active participant, and and to do that, you have to you can't spoon feed them. So yeah. the and I think audiences want that. They want foreshadowing. They want subtleties that they have to put together you know be active and uh, you know so that that's the film that i wanted to make so i'm excited i I can't wait to show it (laughs) yeah and i can't wait to see it dude so i'm you know like i said thank you so much for joining us 
on the podcast and I wish you all the best on the film and let us know if there's anything we can do to help promote it for you. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy and this is really a a nice uh, way to start my weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to go and watch some basketball now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm going to go to a bar. All right. Have a good day. All right. Take care. (laughs) Bye.